0: Greetings, and Welcome to to PBRC. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. Thank you for being here. This week's episode, I have Evan Skytree-Snyder as my guest. Evan is a music producer, a synthesizer technician, and he works as an engineer as well. This episode, we get into a unique take on synthesis that Evan has, where he's using things like crystals to send electrical signal through a synth. He calls it geosonification. I think that's a great name, and I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode. I'm gonna keep this intro short and sweet. Don't wanna give too much away, but definitely do yourself a favor Go check out Evan on Bandcamp first and foremost. That's skytree.bandcamp.com where you'll find his newest album called Infraplanetary. It features Arathime on a track, Jackson Whalen doing some rapping, and it's really good. I think you'll like it. No new patrons to announce this week. I'm recording this on Monday the 13th, exactly a week before this episode will drop. I am going out of town to visit family on Thursday the 16th, so if you do happen to subscribe in between now and when this episode drops a week from now, I will get you and shout you out on the episode that will drop on the 27th, but if you would like, you should head on over to patreon.com slash rtafpodcast and check it out. Got three tiers available, four, eight, and $16 a month are your options at this point. You get video, you get shouts out, you get guest suggestions, you get merchandise, depending on what tier you subscribe to, and those compound the higher it gets. So go over, check it out. If you believe in what I'm doing here and you want to support it, if you want to encourage this project of tracing out the contours, of the art world, head on over there and check it out. Anyway, so much for a short intro, huh? <laughs> uh, let's get right into it. Mr. Evan Skytree Sky Tree. Snyder. 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 Yeah, I'll just hit record. There we go, there we go, set the vibes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I'll give you a little introduction. Sure, yeah, yeah. My guest today, I've never really done this with the guests like sitting right here.
1: I'm rarely introduced. (laughs) My guest uh, today
0: is Evan Skytree Snyder and Evan is an engineer, a musician, producer, And I don't know, what what would you call it? Like earth modular synthesizer? (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) Man, I don't know if there is a term for that yet. I've been calling it geosonification. Oh, okay. So data sonification is is kind of the process of taking data sets and ascribing means of uh, translating that to audio, um, sometimes for fun, sometimes because it's helpful to evaluate the data. Mm Mm-hmm in uh auditory format. Um but uh there's a lot of different types of sonification. Um geosonification is just a soft term that I'm using to describe what I've been doing recently, especially you made during that COVID. Up.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I did. Uh <laughs> uh
1: so I don't expect any sort of like um gravitas or significance from the term, but if we already use one, I suppose it kind of works.
0: That's so yeah, I mean it's a perfect term. And essentially um what i see and hear you doing is you're taking kind of like uh, things from the earth like crystals um running water correct so yeah that's correct right yeah
1: so so running water kind of goes outside that that geo terminology but it's still in, in the but it's a part of the,
0: the larger geo the
1: True, which is why I'm I'm not like discarding this, this yeah, pseudo term yeah. so quickly. It does it does fit a lot, especially the things that I'm thinking about doing yeah. in the years to come. It still will be fairly appropriate.
0: And you, you're basically taking nodes or, or like electrical. What 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 would you call those? Like the things that you're attaching, to to re, to get the data to send through.
1: Well, so I'm mostly using Euro rack modules, okay, um, which has been really helpful because a lot of the things I've been doing over the past year and a half through COVID especially, um, have been ideas that I've had brewing for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, and as soon as I started to get into modular, which is partially the fault of my good friend, Bobby Urothime, who also got a bunch of his modules from Evan Bluetech. Um, nice. So I kind of could, uh, point to them as, as sort of that initial touch point of modular. I, I've been peripherally familiar with it and you know used synthesizers for a good 20 plus years. But um, once I started to dive into what the, the vast range of all these, especially like boutique modules are, I realized that like I can uh, start to prove out ideas that were very uh, esoteric for a very long time with off-the-shelf components. So it's one of my favorite things is when I can find like a um, a product that already exists mm-hmm. that can be used in a way that maybe the manufacturers didn't intend, uh, but it, it lowers the barrier for entry so that the, the work itself can be past that initial catalyst point. And that uh, is something that not only affects my approach to synthesis, but also to art and creativity in general quite a bit, is so I just want to like get in there as, smoothly and quickly as I can. And then the, the workload or, or the, the playground is, um, past that door. Like you've opened the gate and walked through right? and
0: then there's no guards at the door. Yeah. Like yeah. Metaphors.
1: So, um, in this case it like not only provided me with the means of opening that gate and getting in really quickly, but, um, has been, almost bafflingly, uh, successful in terms of actually doing the things that I wanted to, I've been able to pull them off in the past year and a half. So it's felt a little uncanny. Yeah. Um, like there might be some kind of deal that I made with some entity that has something (laughs) (laughs) maybe more nefarious in mind because it just keeps working. So I'm wondering when my luck is going to run out on this, but, um, yeah. I think, in part, though, just to be more realistic about it, because that's a pretty paranoid <laughs> take on yeah. it, is that like I, I did think about this stuff for a long time in advance, and right. as soon as I noticed the components out there existed, uh, the the actual ideas clicked together much more quickly. Nice. Um, yeah.
0: Let's let's kind of backtrack and give some context to everything that you just said. Um, to kind of finish the picture I was trying to paint in the beginning, which is very basic, you're using. Crystals, let's just say crystals, as like the electrical signal to send through your modular synthesizers. Which, if someone's just hopping into this episode, and we have a lot of artists, like visual artists listening, mm-hmm. so I don't necessarily expect everyone to know what modular synthesis is, although I don't want to insult their intelligence either.
1: I think a lot of people, as soon as you send them down, like even kids, like to. Play around and and twiddle knobs and start plugging things into each other. Like even right. if you don't understand necessarily the, the specifics, uh, it, it's intuitively accessible.
0: Yeah, uh, synthesis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you're basically running an electrical sin- signal through and then modulating that. Yeah, at the very most basic explanation of what's going on there.
1: Sure. I mean, uh, for quartz crystals, that's that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a several different methods that have sort of gotten built up uh, over time um and so i'm just using the terminology like novel input source basically nice uh, so in the case of quartz using uh raw crystal points as piezoelectric um, pickups and filters uh, which i up until giving it a shot um didn't know for sure if it was possible because piezoelectric uh wafers that we use now in piezo pickups and like quartz resonators and things like that are very specifically cut, so it's like very thin yeah, layers, at specific like micron mm. depths uh you have to cut at the exact right angle of of the quartz um like crystal matrix mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh it's developed you know quite a bit in the hundred plus years since. Piezoelectricity was discovered by the Curie brothers um, okay. at the turn of the century, last century.
0: <laughs> so is that in any relation to Mary Curie?
1: Yeah, actually. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, Mary Curie was married to one of the Curie brothers. Gotcha. So they discovered piezoelectricity. She's, uh, you know, effectively the um, discoverer of radioactivity. Wow. Um, so yeah, they were definitely a power couple in the scientific <laughs> community, but like things got proven out so quickly that like a lot of the early research is as far as I've been able to discern, not readily available or I'm not even sure if it exists anymore. Hmm. They, they had to have, I would, I would imagine start with just crystal points yeah uh, before we started understanding how we're going to actually mill them down and get like these little specific wafers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I couldn't find anything on the internet saying that piezoelectric effect will actually work in some functional way uh, on a raw piece. And uh, I was really curious to see if it would. Yeah. Um, you would think over like 100 years we would go in these up and down cycles, but it's just been like linear or, or even exponential progression of uh, technological specificity and... Yeah. Uh, component requirements and, and use cases and all that stuff. And so the very base fundamental concept has been lost to time if it was mm-hmm. proven out at all, which it probably was. Yeah. Um so when I first sat down to give it a shot, um I was really delighted, not necessarily surprised, but just like almost euphorically elated to see that it works. Um yeah. with not every quartz point, but most actually. Um and, and not even like specific faces like you get a slightly better effect on certain faces but um basically what i was doing is taking a uh, copper tape which is uh you know basically flattened copper with a yeah, adhesive yeah. on one side and mm-hmm. like cutting it to the size of the faces of the crystal points and then it's like sticking it on there using those as my electrodes uh-huh. and then putting them on a uh um you know what's kind of a speaker without a cone which is just a transducer and then vibrating the crystals okay. so I can send whatever signal I want uh, into the transducer and, uh, and amplify it okay and then it'll vibrate the crystal and I can actually get uh, output uh, from the electrodes which when I first proved it out was like almost bizarre to hear um, I was tapping on it with a, a singing bowl mallet uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah. And I could hear the, the tapping when I put my headphones on and connected them to the, to the electrodes. And at first I was like, okay, this is spooky. Maybe I'm just hearing the background sound of me doing this. Yeah. Uh, so I ran it into a oscilloscope. I could see the signal, <laughs> then ran it into Ableton, recorded it, and I could play it back. And uh, it's been a matter of also like reducing the, the line noise or the ground noise and the yeah. signal. But it works. It was like hearing um, you know, a spirit from inside the rock uh, to, to go
0: definitely not super esoteric super esoteric <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um very yeah that's that's magic i was thinking that while you were talking about this uh i'm i'm thinking like any book that hears this they're gonna be like, aha i told you <laughs> i crystals knew it crystals do have power and well uh, and so th- that's i kind of wondering your take on that um i've always thought that well yeah there's something there i don't know if we can ascribe like um you know, these miraculous healing properties to crystals.
1: Right, yeah. So, like, (laughs) um, part of how I got into this subject matter, especially in the festival scene, is, um, you know, I think I did uh, maybe a half dozen um, talks, like sort of sit-down conversations uh, in tandem with being booked for, you know, a music Mm -hmm. uh, performance. And, uh, you know, the second time around, I I thought of all the subjects that I'd really like to discuss in this context and in this community is, um, the, the physical properties of crystals and minerals that otherwise seem to be magic, but are very real, very physical. Right. Many of them highly leveraged in our technology. Right. Um, yeah.
0: Like computers and phones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Quartz. Some of it just in our bits. pockets at all times, yeah. you know? So it's, it's a really relatable thing, even if people don't necessarily, uh, I, I shouldn't say that generally, um, even if not everybody is aware of what that's doing and I don't expect that they, they need to necessarily. Yeah. Um, but once you start to peel back the, um, the mystery on that a little bit, um, it's, it's not like the wizard of Oz where you just see like this, this guy back there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it's like you're peeling back one seemingly immensely magical, mystical thing to find something else that in my opinion is, uh, equally, um, inspirational and equally like delighting and existentially gratifying Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like in in religion um our our world religions and in general um you know keeping things pretty earth-centric but then as you go out into the cosmos like it gets even more miraculous and amazing Uh, yeah yeah. so so i I don't necessarily find myself at odds often with the perspective of, of there being something uh, grand to existence right, there yeah, being yeah. something miraculous to just being alive um, but uh, I, I find an inspiration more by looking up through a telescope than by reading a book that was written several thousand years ago as yeah. interesting as those are as like artifacts of human culture and development Right?
0: isn't there, there's a quote that goes something like, and I don't know who said it at all, maybe you'll recognize it but uh, it goes something like any any sufficiently developed technology is indistinguishable from magic.
1: Yeah, it's Arthur C. Clarke, who's awesome. like one of my favorite nice. sci-fi authors. And actually, I think science fiction in general is is a really um, pretty broad and relatable uh, expression of this phenomenology. Yeah. Um, so I, I adore a lot of sci-fi, especially Arthur Clarke. Favorite Clark.
0: sci-fi movie favorite.
2: Favorite. or show.
1: Ooh, that's a hard call. I mean, Dune was exceptional. Really yes. glad to see that brought to the big screen in a, in a proper fashion. Um, so good. No hate to David yeah. Lynch. Like that no was hate, no shade. Yeah, that no was shade, a no shade. David, <laughs> no shade at I know all. I you're listening right there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he would throw more shade on himself for that one than we ever would.
0: Well, so what I've heard in relation to that, not to get too off topic right away, but uh, is that the original was four and a half hours long, and they made him cut it down to like an hour and 45 or something like that. Yeah. And uh you can really tell in the second half of that Lynch movie that like, they're just like cramming, like compressing everything. Yeah. Um, But yes, this new Dune is so good. Phenomenal. I mean, I'm a uh, admittedly a
1: pretty hardcore star Wars fan. And, and mm-hmm. when I saw Dune, I walked out of the theater and, um, reflected on my love of Star Wars as more of the proper context for what it is, which is like my nostalgic childhood love of science fiction from like an entry standpoint, you know, (laughs) um, there's, there's so much more, uh, to be explored still. Like I'm, I'm waiting for a sci-fi movie with like, no humans <laughs> like yeah, that, yeah. that surely can be yeah. done it turns out people generally prefer to see other people in their entertainment and right so. now if we were talking in some random alien language we probably wouldn't have that many people listening we wouldn't have an audience here on earth we so might have much. one guy somewhere on mushrooms who was just like really excited about whatever you know <laughs> glossolalia was coming out of our <laughs> mouths but like um, yeah I-, I think a lot of the science fiction that I would love to see doesn't yet exist but then there mm. are these like these glimmers of um cultural ex- acceptance and cultural expansion mm-hmm. like the new dune movie yeah um of I'm, course like going back to blade runner uh, mm-hmm. uh you know the new 2049 as well as the previous blade runner uh, i i love really not necessarily only hard sci-fi but really immersive uh like um transportational experiences in science fiction that recontextualize your understanding of um
0: the own your own society yeah yeah exactly
1: and so it's it's sort of the comparison and the um the uh reconfiguration of things that we otherwise get into sort of static mindsets about with respect to our worldview it can throw wrenches into those things um so that's part of what i love about science fiction and uh, also the potential for hard sci-fi to really explore technological advancements that haven't yet occurred or to recontextualize ones that have um, in a way that reaches people differently. Um, so when I heard the quartz crystal tapping back through the electrode output, it felt like kind of a science fiction moment, you know, mm-hmm. but a hard sci-fi. Like, it's, it's a real thing. It's a real phenomena. But it had that same sense of, like, awe and wonder that I have in watching...
0: A, um, you know Blade Runner 2049 sure yeah so I'm I'm curious as to how like and we can go as far back as you want but like how did these two kind of avenues of hard science and creativity come together for you and if you could just maybe give us some life context sure about uh, that. yeah so
1: it just full disclosure um, when I was pretty young, I think I was maybe 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is kind of an explanation of my entry point to crystals as, as a phenomena or as a mineralogical uh, geological um, field to explore. Mm-hmm. I started off on the very esoteric side of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So... um when I was 11 or 12, I, I got really a uh, bad pneumonia case and was out of school for months. Like uh, every so often I get like a pile of letters from the kids at school cause like I didn't see them. Right, um, yeah. and this is back when that was quite unusual. You know, these days people have to, um, attend class from home and stuff, but, right, yeah. um, it was a very lonely experience, uh, for several months to be just basically laid up and, uh, My parents took me to several doctors and they couldn't find a, a, you know, a ready solution. There was no like prescription that could be thrown at me that was going to make me better um, Mm -hmm. because they kept trying and nothing was working. Yeah. And my condition was was worsening um, to the point where I guess one doctor um, well into the several months told my parents that I would either get better or I wouldn't. Um, So it was not a death sentence or anything, but it was like potentially a terminal case of pneumonia yeah yeah um, and I was like hallucinating towards the end of it Wow like, I would have a hard time sitting up because I would feel like I was doing backflips I would like have the trippiest dreams at one point I uh, completely had a I guess what what in the adult context I call a bad trip where I felt like I fully was brought to the forefront of infinity And had to like accept it for a second, but it was painfully disorienting and monstrous and impossible to grok, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. But I felt it. And it was a really powerful um, psychedelic moment as a kid brought on by pneumonia. But um, because my my mom had exhausted all options up until that point Mm -hmm. uh, medically, she was um, interested in crystal healing and had this little uh, green tourmaline um, and put it in a little medicine pouch and told me to wear it. Mm-hmm. And um, I got better within two weeks. Really, completely, crazy. Yeah. Um, and I I remember like pulling that out of the pouch and and looking at it and feeling inspired by the the glitter of light passing through the the tourmaline matrix. Yeah. Um, and just feeling like I was holding a little piece of magic. And now looking back on it, I would say it's it's much more likely from a rational standpoint that it was uh, placebo, which, of course, can have a very powerful effect. Especially, I I don't know if there's any research on this. I'd be interested to know if there's any like uh, paper written in child psychology journals that maybe details that perhaps children are more susceptible to placebo effects because of the suggestibility that kids tend to have. Um, I was highly suggestible. uh, And of course, trust of my mom implicitly out of all people, her and my dad, like 100% would buy into what they told me to do. Yeah. Um, And my mom, I think had the, conscience to deliver this as if it was something that could work instead of saying, Oh, this might, you know, yeah, we yeah, don't know yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh I think she wanted to instill on in me perhaps some measure of like placebo benefit. hmm
0: Um Have you ever talked to her about that, uh afterwards? Have you
1: Yeah. Um unfortunately my mom passed away about ten years ago. Oh, um yeah, life, you know, is precious. Um and I think I did get the opportunity to discuss it with her a couple of times and um at one point, she mentioned, Well, I didn't know if this was going to work, but I figured I might as well try, like, do anything at that point. Yeah, know, totally. Uh, she would, you know, if I was being attacked by a bear, she'd tackle the bear. <laughs> of course. <laughs> to, yeah. <laughs> to save her kids. So, because moms are like that. Um, I, uh, from that point on, though, was always quite, quite interested in sort of demystifying to some extent the crystal healing community. Um at least through my perspective, not trying to like change right, <laughs> the right, community right. as a whole, but right. like find my relationship to this thing that um by virtue of some deeper phenomena or simply the placebo effect, basically, I identify with saving my life.
0: The placebo effect's really interesting, right because mm-hmm. it actually doesn't exactly matter what it is, but as long as it works, it doesn't matter what the object or process necessarily it is but i think it could be utilized a lot more if doctors were also psychologists you know sure and you could get a patient to uh, or find out what they believe in naturally and just prescribe it as if it were going to work but then I'm sure there's a lot of like
1: ethics dilemmas that come up with that yeah, and yeah, yeah, practice yeah, Insurance yeah, yeah. is yes, expensive exactly. already. Lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. But but you're not you're not wrong in that. There's a lot more potential there still. Um, that being said, though, uh, I also found this like this deeply satisfying ASMR quality to looking at crystals, which I'm, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, especially those in you know more of a altered states altered state <laughs> type. Yeah. Uh, culture, uh, you know, background, perspective, momentary, you know, glimpse of something you think is somehow revealing itself to you. Yeah. Um, like I remember after that, always being enthralled by like the mineral collections at museums. So there's uh, the in the Denver uh, Natural History Museum, I'm not sure if it's still there, but when I was a kid, there was this exhibit of like a crystal cave that you could walk up and like look into Mm. and you could press buttons that would illuminate parts of the cave like way back. And like, you know, if it does still exist as an adult, you know, it's a, it's definitely a diorama. Right. And it's not like you're, you're deep in the center of the earth or something. But Mm. as a kid, this thing only needed to go back five or six feet to create this like deep sense of immersion. And I would just, you know, spend probably a lot more time than my parents expected me to looking at, that little cave diorama and walking around and, you know, learning as much as I could from even a, a geological standpoint, a mineralogical standpoint, um, you know, just really felt deeply curious about, um, crystallography and mm-hmm. related subjects, um, which while I didn't pursue professionally, definitely influenced my interest in material science and my current work in engineering. Yeah. Um, I, I almost though kept them at too high regard to, to become a gemologist myself or a geologist. Uh I really respect people who do that work. Um
0: so yeah, we should talk about uh maybe just briefly, we don't have to go into super detail, uh but about your job uh that you have. And sure. then maybe we can come back to where music entered your life as like something that captivated you. Yeah. Um you just brought up engineering, so I thought we might touch on that for a second. Sure. I mean, <clears throat> for a good 10 years or so, and
1: actually when we met back in 2012, 12. Yeah. Um, I was subsisting solely off of being a musician. Um, right. Art, art was my sole path at that time, and uh, it, it's not an easy path. Uh, right. That's what I keep
0: telling people. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I I don't think the the old heads do it because it's easy. Right. Um, Yeah. It's it's magic in its own sense. But um, I wanted to uh, allow my music to exist in its own right without sort of this need to produce it at a certain rate or share on social media so often or, um, you know, rely on my art to pay for my sandwich for lunch. (laughs) Yeah. which, when you when you can do that, it feels pretty powerful and, and exciting. Um, but in order to preserve my art, because I went through a pretty hard time uh, 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. uh, living in New York, which is quite expensive, to put it mildly, um, yeah. realizing that I, I you know, could subsist off of music if I toured constantly, but then paying for rent uh, in New York didn't really make sense. Because you're not ever there. Right, right. and, and yeah. I'm definitely more of a periodic if not like fairly frequent homebody like I like Mm -hmm. to get out and adventure love going on uh, you know memorable trips with people still love going to music events but like doing it all
0: the time didn't really just fit with me personally Mm hmm Um, that's a lot of self-awareness I would say to realize that at a point where you could you saw the path opening up in front of you of like oh I could just tour all the time Have this apartment in New York City, and you know, like it seems cool. Yeah, it seems cool, but it it, can be. But you, you, you realize that it wasn't for you. And was that a hard decision, or was it just like, duh, I can't do that? Uh, man. In
1: retrospect, it was a duh, I can't do that. But in the moment, it was a really hard decision. Uh Um, because. I felt like if I stopped, then I would be giving up the opportunity to continue to pursue it and to continue to grow into it, mm. uh, continue to to meet people through music that I can collaborate with and like um, develop long and and fruitful bonds with over time. Um, it felt like I might lose that community as well yeah, by yeah. like taking that step back. Uh-huh. Um, so at the time, I was looking at it in a very binary fashion, you know, it was very like black and white. Like either yeah. I, I keep doing this or I don't. Yeah, yeah. And now and I'll get to sort of like the current point um, here in a minute, but like, obviously now it's like there's a much more nuanced perspective and nuanced take that life will um, provide you with, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I decided in the, in that moment back in like 2014 to go back to school Um and thought about what I could do to sustain, not just myself, but my art and my relationship to my friends and my family, be able to show up and, and be the best, you know, community member that I can be, for mm-hmm. example, um, as, you know, quite possibly being uh, employed in the field of engineering. Um, I knew the money would be fairly good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not uh, <laughs> necessarily like surgeon money or or financer on wall you, street you, money well, uh, you're like
0: way better than uh someone who's scraping by or like to use the visual artist metaphor like just paying their way through paintings living painting to painting or paycheck to paycheck hand to mouth however you want to say it and would you say that like having that bit of cushion like does that put you at ease to make the type of music that you would really want to make.
1: Yeah, that's actually been the, the, I think, most substantial creative element to come out of it is I do feel like I'm now essentially free to pursue my art in my own way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it hasn't cut off the ties with the community. You know, uh, there's not like a sense of loss of contact with all my friends who are artists still and still going that route Um, and working really hard at it and and many of them succeeding um, against, you know, the odds or, uh, you know, because they're incredibly adept yeah um so I find myself in a position now where yeah, I do have to spend a good amount of my daytime hours at a lab um pretty close to your spot here in yeah. Colorado um and you know time management is becoming the, the more important thing to still explore music but um, it's completely possible and I found myself able to actually uh, give myself time and permission to explore things that may not hit a dance dance floor in the same way, for example. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the priority. Or to, you know, try to get out something pretty soon just to stay relevant, so to speak. So that need to stay relevant is sort of, like, you know, left my, my general, like, creative lexicon. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do want to, again, just, like, restate that I deeply respect people who are able to do that. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can follow your bliss to the ends of the earth and if it takes you there and if you can come back home and you really enjoy your life like that's phenomenal I deeply applaud that I think that's one of the more commendable lifestyles that a human being can
0: sure. experience Definitely. and to, to um, continue But but just to bring it back it's all about how well you know yourself and how well you're going to interface with your art and you knew that if I go this route, it, I probably will either get burnt out or just just won't have a good time. Yeah, right? I mean
1: everybody's different, right? So it's yeah. not just like my psychological take of it, my like financial take on this. It, it was also like physiological. Like I I need a good amount of sleep every night. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't just like get it f- six hours and feel you know fairly okay. I'll just feel like garbage and won't really uh, have my day to its fullest basically so
0: yeah that started happening uh i guess either happening to me or i started really noticing it about three or four years ago this sl- the whole sleep thing
1: it's also getting older <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying it's like
0: yeah. it could be getting older it could just be that like i was just ripping and running and just having a good time and then it caught up with me
1: that's kind of how i felt too because yeah uh it's a very tempting lifestyle to just continue to fire all cylinders on, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. cause it's so invigorating and exciting in, in many ways. Uh, totally. there's moments of disappointment and frustration, you know, like sound issues on stage, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, or, or other things that can go awry, but overall it can be pretty enticing and, uh, energizing. Yeah. Because, um, in a way like you feel deleveraged from the bullshit of our society yeah Yeah. you know and that's a very freeing thing i I think that almost is like as much a definition of the american dream as the traditional take on it right like just genuinely pursuing your freedom and your bliss and yeah making good on it but um i was like okay maybe maybe i don't have to sell my soul to be an engineer you know yeah yeah i don't necessarily have to work on projects that i don't think are ethical i don't necessarily have to Grind out sixty plus hours a week and just not have any time to do creative things. Like, there could be a path here, and uh, I I was really fortunate to have that door opened. And uh, you know, part of it was hard work. Also, part of it was just opportunity and dumb
0: luck. Did you get an like an engineering degree? Uh,
1: So I just have an associate's in industrial
0: design. Oh, okay. Uh, So I was like,
1: okay, I I want to finish school, but I want to get it done quick. Yeah, yeah. And then see where that takes me, and if I need to go back to school. Hopefully later. your employer
0: will pay for it.
1: <laughs> right. Kind of so, thing. um, I found myself in a position now where I'm a hardware engineer for Amazon robotics and artificial intelligence. And, uh, I did it on a two year degree. Nice. Um, so I have minimal student loans, uh, which is a nice thing for Very sure. Nice. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I might still have to go back to school in the future. If I do, maybe my employer will pay for it, but, um, I have enough time and bandwidth right now to focus on my creative, endeavors in a way that like before I couldn't because like I would be um, really reluctant to spend you know the money required for a euro rack modular setup Yeah. Um, back in 2014
0: when all you had were gig to gig kind of paychecks right? Yeah
1: okay. yeah and, and I would feel like I would have to really um, have a really known set of creative values and um, production value around this thing in order to invest in it Um, well also
0: just for practical reasons wouldn't uh i mean you can take a modular synth on the road but sometimes they get a little out of hand and you need a place for you need (laughs) like a studio for them basically
1: yeah uh, totally yeah dialing in a modular rack uh, in a live setting is uh a mastery that i do not yet have basically um definitely some people out there like anthony from papadocio that are adapted that totally. congrats
0: to being a dad too anthony if you're oh, yeah. listening to this yeah. family
1: is happy and healthy and all is going great yeah. um i'm not there yet with with modular but i'm i'm finding my way in the studio so yeah. far and it's been a, a really magical experience but i before wouldn't be able to explore these things um i, I rebuilt out especially during covid um a lot of my uh, creative flow in hardware um to sort of get outside the box of yeah. Ableton. Yeah. Um, which I've been in for a long time. I've been using Ableton since Ableton four <laughs> way back in the day. What um, are they at now? Nine? eleven. Uh, eleven. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yes. So so now Ableton is my, my final composition step. So I'll sketch out everything in hardware. I'll like lay out projects on my MPC, buy a Kai, mm-hmm. and um, build out as much as I can with my hands. And then final assembly is in Ableton. Interesting. Um, And it's still one of the most fun parts, like to be fair, but I don't do it all there.
0: That's so interesting because it's literally the exact opposite for a lot of painters, a lot of artists. Like I just got an iPad the other day and, uh, you know, hallelujah to that. Uh, But uh, (laughs) it's it's a great tool, especially for making sketches or mural mock-ups, right? So you're you're talking about using Ableton, which is just completely digital audio workspace, right? And going from the analog, using your hands, plugging things in, hitting the beat sequencer, whatever it is, then you put it in this middle zone onto your Akai MPC, mm-hmm. and then you, I, I'm assuming you sort of play it yeah, I've been to getting, make the composition,
1: getting a little better at finger drumming. Yeah, I used to drum quite a bit on, you know, actual kits, but I don't have room or the sound space to do that right yeah. now. So that was kind of a, a way of getting back into laying out grooves more physically, mm-hmm. um, just using my brain stem. You know, just kind of knocking yeah, things yeah. out um, without needing to bother my neighbors or, mm-hmm. you know, carve out a whole space in my apartment for a drum kit. Um, yeah. I'd still love that in the future, but the MPC has been super fun. I'm really glad to. Um, start projects that way when Mm. it comes to beats. Um, And that's been an awesome investment. I don't regret a single dollar of that, you know, that cost. It was a really good route to go. And especially because it has a bunch of, like, CVs or control voltage outs on it that I can use to control the modular as well. Oh, wow. Um, Nice. When I got the MPC, I wasn't necessarily, I'm planning uh, on a modular in the near future, but it already had the functionality uh, and the ports I needed, basically, to rope everything together
2: yeah yeah
0: well it's just interesting because that it literally goes the opposite way for a lot of painters where it's like we start in a digital i I mean nowadays typically and then you take it to the like especially on murals where you're using like your whole body you take it into that um kinesthetic realm i guess and you're starting kinesthetic and then polishing it up and making it look real nice and in ableton is that where you do your mixing too
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. For the most part. Um, I got a new audio interface too, which I really like. It's a Behringer. Uh, sorry to folks out there who are not huge fans, but they have <laughs> stepped up their game recently. So I have the flow eight, which is like a, a rare combination of audio interface and mixer. Yeah. Um, and it has a, an app as well for app control. So I can walk around the room and dial stuff in if I want to. Nice. Um, I have physical faders to, you know, um, control my channels with and, it has enough inputs and outputs to do everything I need right now, but I can't really go beyond that. Um Yeah. So I have like eight inputs, I have like a couple sends. Um and it means I have to stay pretty tidy with my, my hardware setup. So yeah, yeah. I've, I've pegged it where it is right now. I need to, like, get some new music out before I can excuse myself on any further purchases on hardware. Sweet. Because it's a rabbit hole for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. when you feel like you can afford it. Because when you think like you do... I got a job. <laughs> yeah, the life isn't always super static like that. So I don't right. want to take that for granted and, and still be reasonable. Totally. <laughs> it's hard, though.
0: Totally. Well, that, that actually comes to another thing I wanted to ask you about, which is, uh, wh- where are you at now in your music? Are you using the, uh, geo, what was it? Geo sonification to, yeah. to make, uh, to make tracks
1: now? So, is that
0: like your basis or h- how's your process going right now?
1: It's like a, at sort of a, a kind of split in the road, mm-hmm. um, where. I feel like pursuing this more, to be honest, like academic and engineering-oriented side of music through geosonification is kind of its own path now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll still use my moniker of Skytree for that that creative output, mm-hmm. um, but I, I still definitely want to make beat and bass, bass-oriented music and really melodic and textural and like granular um, IDM, electro, uh, EDM stuff. yeah. Uh, man, I hate using genres for describing what I'm it's, trying to do sometimes. Cause I don't know if that works at all. It's so funny. <laughs> uh,
0: You know, everybody's doing the Spotify rap thing. And S- Sarah, my girlfriend said uh, that Spotify told her that her favorite genre was vapor glitch. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is
1: that? Man? It definitely sounds vapor esque. Yeah, uh, maybe yeah. vaporware.
0: Not, not even um, vaporwave or vaporware. Like, no, just vapor glitch it's like I mean like the, the the
1: term is not something I, I have immediate issue with if somebody described my music with a genre I wouldn't have otherwise thought of I'm not going to take offense to it but like I, I feel like it's too much onus on me to describe it
0: well to- totally yeah, yeah I guess it's it is the um, perceiver's job to sort of categorize it as they will yeah but it just seems a little like ridiculous yeah well, I, guess, I, I guess the more specific you can get it better but I don't know
1: well, so I did put out a record at the end of last year that I actually started most of the tracks uh, on in New York when I was living in in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, and when I moved to Colorado, I had all of these memories that I needed to sift through, and I kind of wanted to like end that chapter and like start fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a good chunk of COVID as well going through like all of those tracks, polishing them up, mastering them. It was my first time mastering. Uh, release on my own i can't say i did a great job i think i did a pretty okay job i Uh was satisfied with it enough to keep potentially taking a stab at mastering music
0: nice what's so for people i guess for me too like what is the actual difference between just mixing and then mastering
1: Oh man. Uh, is some people will describe it or... as a combination between super technical and, and alchemy, depending on who you ask. Okay. Um, everybody's got their own process. There's no like one rote way to master sure. music. Right. Um, it really is a matter of, uh, both technical expertise and sheer, um, listening the ability to like really carefully carefully analyze and and just experience just mountains of experience Mm -hmm. with with the best mastering engineers you know yeah um they're they're that good because they've worked in mastering for 20 years and just have an innate understanding uh, of their hardware and of what to listen to and also how to work with the artist um, or artists in the case of a band or, or a larger group um but to answer it as best as I can. So when I'm, when I'm in the mixing phase, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure everything has its place. You know, I'm, I'm heavily gain staging everything by keeping everything fairly quiet. So I'm not like, uh, introducing any accidental compression or artifacts around mm-hmm. distortion that I don't want. Um, I'm just sort of setting up the, the stage. Um, and in, in mastering, it's more, um, introducing compression on purpose in some specific areas mm. uh, bringing things up to more of like a full like full-bodied expression of this this gain stage sort of like pre-master mixing stage you know mm-hmm. um this might not make any sense to anybody listening that i'm doesn't visualizing have experience it i'll try and in
2: it.
0: use words to, <laughs> to visualize it for people yeah but uh it, it it's like it's like taking that va- maybe taking the mixing part is taking values of a painting, right? And you're placing them in spots that give sort of a three dimensional um, shape to your objects in your painting. And I imagine that's sort of what you're doing, uh, if that visual metaphor makes any sense. In in mixing, and then mastering is more of the fine tuning and bringing things to a fuller color maybe and a fuller like richness that you wouldn't hear in just sort of the mixing stage where sure everything's organized and arranged and like no frequencies are chopping into each other in weird ways but then at the end it's all about like you know popping that highlight and deepening that shadow or popping the high frequency maybe and like rounding out the bass or Exactly. So, so is that pretty good?
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because, like, in the mixing stage, like, all your at the end of that, if if you're satisfied with the stage that you're at, ideally, like, basically all your information is there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's in the waveform. It uh, might be more subtle than the final result after mastering, but but all of your information, both composition, EQing, uh, even to a significant extent, like panning or or working with uh, phase. Is there after you're done mixing, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you basically take this, essentially finished product in a way, creatively finished, and um, add additional. Well, no, no. I'm gonna walk that back. You You don't really, you don't really. To some extent, so it's not really additive or subtractive. It's more uh, polishing. Polishing. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So like you know finishing a sculpture maybe I haven't yeah there I haven't go. like sculpted anything with marble but yeah, I can yeah. imagine like once you get the the final sculpture quote unquote final there's still like polishing and like finish sure. work to do and maybe yeah, yeah. Um, you know staging it in the right lighting having it go mm-hmm. to the right place yeah uh, all that stuff is, is more what I described to the mastering equivalent you know it's like contextual sculpture. a little bit as well. Totally. That's cool. So the textures might already exist there, but it's like, how do you make them pop in the way that you want in the, in the lighting and and then the environment and like the culture in which it will be experienced.
0: Oh
2: yeah. Nice.
1: And in the case of like, uh, audio, you know, somebody might be listening to it on their phone. So, you know, I'll definitely go and like listen to tracks on my phone to make sure that they don't sound completely washed out and impenetrable and confusing. Right. But also like, in, in a really nice set of headphones really nice set of monitors in a car car, yeah. car test is is, is essential <laughs> and then if the the you have the ability
0: like you know the functions or the or or the hennessy's or whatever right yeah <laughs> like, exactly get them out on the the large speakers
1: yes yeah which is a, a fun stage that isn't i don't think it's essential but it can be really informative mm-hmm. and also pretty fun yeah um so having worked on that release and and mastering it as best as i could anyway uh, i feel really satisfied with the result and i think it actually provides a good um stage from which i'll continue to develop that side of my music uh i, I don't think it will really throw anybody off who otherwise has been <coughs> listening for a little while um when i start uh diving more into the geosonification side of things because i've already been working in ambient music and mm-hmm. uh sound design sort of more textural expression for quite a while uh, as well and it will definitely still fit within that ecosystem nice. essentially so that's why i don't so feel you like you
0: don't have to completely rebrand or
1: right no yeah, new yeah. pseudonym i don't necessarily need anything else than maybe a new
0: logo at this point because i yeah it's been a while <laughs> i got you all right awesome yeah. awesome know a guy <laughs> yeah yeah um so i do I do want to talk about more like specifically um, process stuff my my question always about process I'm always curious where on the spectrum do you fall between imposing like something that you either hear or an idea you have onto the you know quiescent cloud of the moment or do you just work with the moment and kind of navigate your way through to the end result. So are you more, uh, intentional? Or are you more flow based? Uh, I think it's, it's a order of operations
1: in a way. So like initially very flow based, yeah. um, for the most part, again, like I, I really want to minimize that barrier for entry, not just for myself, but when discussing, you know, creative outlets with, with friends and colleagues, you know, uh, kids, Uh, it's just really, I think, um, my best place to advocate for the, the ease of entry to what people might really care about doing. Uh, Um, you know, if they want to be, uh, pursuing the specific angle of creativity, um, especially for kids, uh, reminding them that they can find, you know, this element of creative expression and satisfaction without, um needing to have things like drilled into them like going to piano lessons for two years or whatever it might take of course that can be super helpful right um but it can be daunting for kids that maybe just don't feel like that's the path for them so i kind of try to treat my my inner child so to speak like with kid gloves appropriately and and just remind myself that you know especially given limited time after work for example Mm -hmm. that it's perfectly fine to just sit down on the npc and like sketch out a new beat, even if I have like 50 already that I'm not using. Yeah. Like I, I definitely make a lot of sketches, uh, before I sit down and get into more of the intentional space. Mm. Um, because the, the happy accidents will pile up to the point where, um, they'll sort of point the way. Yeah. And then I start to build the scaffolding around what it needs to like, as a trellis, like grow towards a teleological attractor (laughs) in which it will eventually exist and
0: cohabitate. Yeah. Um, we should get some yeah. context too when you're talking about kids. You were you were teaching an Ableton course, right? for a while.
1: Yeah, I taught Ableton and field recording and sound design at the Brooklyn Home of Music. Okay. Well, uh, awesome. for a couple of years.
0: What did teaching teach you? <laughs> um,
1: well, it, it, that's a good question, man. Yeah. Uh it taught me that I didn't understand everything under the hood in Ableton. Um, <laughs> sure. like You I think mean, you know all the functions on something until you don't, uh, because you're, you know, confronted with the hard reality of a question you can't answer. So it's kind of Dunning Kruger esque. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did find that that approach to like lowering the barrier for entry and making things fun, especially in field recording classes, where, mm-hmm. you know, we get like ten kids, usually from art colleges around Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, to uh, just walk around the neighborhood where we had our music school set up with their phones or field recorders, whatever they had and just like recording random sounds and then coming back and throwing them into Ableton and just making a quick sketch or beat out of them. Um, it it definitely reinforced that sense of, um, fun, but also like the ability to genuinely express and and produce something out of that fun jumping off point. So, uh, for the most part students would have a really fun time like field recording for the first time um because you start like interacting with the world a little differently which also connects back to the geosonification it's like this is part of the narrative of like talking with the world um, yeah in a way that feels um really satisfying and existentially rich yeah uh so i think if i were to ever be in that position again, I would probably continue to start with a really playful point and kind of like in my own production process, you know, happy accidents leading into intention kind of impart that where appropriate to people that might be interested in
0: doing something similar. Nice. Did you have any mentors yourself?
1: Yeah, no. Uh, (laughs) You know, people come and go. Some people stick around. Um, I try not to... Expect too much out of mentors that might only step into my life for six months, that kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Um, there was one uh, one guy back in the hometown where my my dad lives, and I went to high school, and you know had a lot of my formative years. Even though I'm from Colorado, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. Um, there was a guy in the uh, city council at the time. Uh, his name was Woody McBride, mm-hmm. and uh, he um was always kind of a presence in the town like he he put on the music events he still does like the small town like uh
0: shouts woody
1: shouts to woody <laughs> yeah exactly um woody is in his own right uh and I didn't know this when I first met him but later on it became quite evident like he is a, a legend in the techno community he goes by DJ ESP oh wow um and he was really part of like the the early like roots of rave culture and, um, you know, once I became more privy to that and he knew that I was working on electronic music as well, we started to spend more time together and he, um, helped me get my first shows, uh, including at like First Avenue in Minneapolis, which is, you know, pretty surreal. Cause I love Prince and that's where Prince used to play oh, a nice. lot and, and really made First Avenue what it is. Um, it was a really informal mentorship with somebody sure. who initially was just, you know, a friend, but as I got to know him um, and understand that like a good chunk of the year, he'd be touring Europe and coming back from like these mega festivals and things like that. And then uh, being on the city council. Yeah. Yeah. That's Hanging crazy. out with my dad and, and uh, putting together like um, talent shows at the county fair and that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, he's very, very unassuming in his, in his personal life, which, um, I haven't talked with him for a little while, but still is very much imparted on my relationship with, with music and uh, connecting with larger audiences out there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not something that necessarily um, means you can't just, step into a normal life at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, cuz we all kind of you can live take off anyway. your superhero clothes <laughs> or whatever. Or not even really uh, kind of wear them playfully or yeah, sarcastically yeah. to some extent. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's something I definitely found myself doing as I was getting kind of sucked into this like identity as Sky Tree. That that's an alias. In the yeah, past I would I would take it being as a name.
0: So nonchalant about it.
1: Yeah, uh, so I've definitely kind of gotten more playful with my relationship again kind of like more full circle going back to my initial years of making music. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's an alias. It's an expression. It's a thing I have to do. It's like a compulsion. Yeah. Um, But uh, I'm just me at the end of the day. So yeah. Um, It takes, takes the pressure off also. Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. Did you find that, so would you call would you call this slowing down period maybe the last four or five years? Would you call that a hiatus necessarily, or was it just a reconfiguration, um, or somewhere in between?
1: <laughs> this might be like too bombastic a term, but like I, I would more relate to it as like a renaissance personally of like oh, okay. my internal nice. relationship with creativity and and my um, understanding of what long term creative work looks like for me. Um, nice it's completely reconfigured everything so uh the hardware and and like the the studio setup is like a metaphor for the internal process and everything that kind of led to that point sure sure Um, i i feel not like a different person but um definitely more grown into my um my footprint is you know evan on earth (laughs) basically right yeah 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 uh so in that sense, I feel like I can approach it more realistically it's it's a really uh paradoxical combination between um years of playing music live and connecting to a live audience and going to festivals and hanging out with with people you know in their you know camp area after a set <laughs> yeah, and just like talking casually when everybody's a little spun and having a really good time just yeah. you know riffing off of whatever um to uh you know, going back to my roots as um, exploring electronic music in my basement with a tape deck with nobody around that I knew that appreciated or would listen to any electronic music that was you know already in existence say on warp records with Aphex Twin and Autechre yeah, yeah. and boards of Canada, let alone my stuff. How like, did you get introduced to those artists? Do you um, remember? I remember being introduced to Aphex for sure yeah yeah uh, so we had like a giant satellite dish. In the backyard of my house growing up and we could get like basically pirate satellite you know if you dialed it to the Sweet. right point in the sky so we got MTV2 back when it was still really MTV2 actually music videos yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course like the later you would stay up the weirder it would get basically yeah. it was kind of like the adult swim of its time in that sense but all music videos just you know on a constant progression towards the stranger and stranger realms yeah. of expression um so I stayed up until 2 a.m. once with all my friends. We were just hanging out. I think painting Warhammer figures. Uh, nice. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but like desktop or tabletop
0: gaming. I yeah, I've I've heard of Warhammer. Yeah, I, I actually watched a to tu- like back in the day when I was learning Photoshop. I watched a tutorial of a guy who was drawing a Warhammer character. Yeah, and he was drawing a, a like the book. I can't remember what it was called but anyway
1: sorry no no worries uh like i didn't really play what my friends did yeah uh, but they would just give me their armies to paint because i would just sit there and paint I, I loved painting figurines i still like paint models and stuff like that Oh nice. um so we definitely got you know love <laughs> of paint in common yours is, is more prolific and and specific to your creativity but i i love like sitting down and doing really fine detailed work yeah on sculptures or little 3d pieces basically so i was just like painting warhammer figures getting really in the zone my friends were, were tabletop gaming next mm-hmm. to the tv with like the, the grainy you know tv2 like, <laughs> yeah pirate satellite older, signal coming in like,
0: and you know back in the day that, that that had to be curated by a human yeah right
1: yeah. And, and, and an interesting one at that i would yeah. reckon because like at 2 a.m uh, the come to daddy video by okay. fx twin came yeah. on and like everybody in the room to stop what they were doing. Like all my friends just like, (laughs) I think they were probably even like, they had rolled some dice and didn't even check and they rolled off the table because they were just like sitting there staring at this like crazy uh, cinematically bizarre and like dreamlike music video with music quite parallel to the bizarre dreamlike nature of the the visuals. Um, So that was really striking. And then from there on, I just got everything I could by warp because back in the late nineties, that was like, really all you had there weren't all these indie labels there wasn't Bandcamp. there wasn't spotify like you were pretty much set with with the labels that were doing the kind of thing that were interesting to you um was interesting to you so warp was my like initial like deep dive into electronic music and the esoteric bizarre like highly creative and like at times um almost indecipherably creative Yeah, yeah yeah potential for electronic music sure uh but i was still like the only one out of my friend group that really listened to that stuff a lot.
0: Is that um, what you're aiming for in your music? Um, like the uh maybe another way to say this is what is what's your do you have a purpose? And and yeah, what are what are you aiming for aesthetically and even even spiritually or mentally?
1: Yeah, um most definitely. So there aren't like specific bullet points or like criteria that need to meet for a track to be uh finished and to sort of for it to fit into the discography of what i've done up until this point Mm -hmm. or up until that point um but for me uh, i feel enveloped by a finished track it becomes an environment Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah it becomes a place where i can hang out and explore things uh and that's part of my love of Especially early warp work, uh, in particular Boards of Canada, is the ability to like still rediscover, or even find new things in music that's been out since 1997. Uh, so I-, I love having music that has replay value, both in my personal collection and my aspirations for my own music. Um, for there to be a sense of uh, exploratory fringe, but more in the IDM type sense, while still being fairly hopefully listenable um yeah and relatable and, and also fairly organic too so I, I love finding like uh another dumb term that i would be hesitant to use but you ha- we have to Come use on, the let's, words let's go uh, let's like um let's see like techno biological okay yeah, yeah <laughs> uh right. semi-cybernetic but more in the context of like um machines don't have to be just sitting in a in a warehouse in Brooklyn or in a skyscraper somewhere. They can be out in the hillside all by themselves, kind of just being part of the environment. Um, yeah. It's it's an interesting juxtaposition that really fascinates me. So that's part of where I'm going with the modular, as well as, like, as soon as we hit spring, or I guess if we keep getting this, like, fall for winter in Colorado, I might just do this soon, which is to take my modular out to Rocky Flats outside of Boulder, Yeah, which is a former nuclear... Uh, catastrophe site, and uh, using the radioactivity in the background to trigger um, generative music on the synth, and just set up a a video of the environment playing music yeah. with the synth just sitting there on the hillside with the you know mountains behind it, and um, yeah, it, it's also kind of like this this reach to uh, remind myself that humans are bizarre and we are definite outliers with respect to our. Um, biome but we're still part of it essentially so uh, that's my relationship to technology as well is that uh, it can be planted firmly in the right context in the middle of nowhere and still be part of nature in a way Yeah. Uh, so if my music evokes that sense in me then I feel like it's uh, approaching the sensibility that I really enjoy
0: it's almost like passing the Turing test but within your own framework yeah in a way like you're like okay I can't tell that Or I don't know. I don't know what the criteria would be, but it's – yeah. I think every person, every artist does that, right? There's got to be some threshold. You just
1: know. You know. You just know. Exactly. So when I I feel like I know, then um, there's obviously a sense of relief or sometimes elation that comes with that or excitement or impatience if, like, you can't get to the project right away and you have to go grocery shopping instead. (laughs) Um, But – yeah, it's also because like the kind of music that I want to hear in this context doesn't readily exist. And, you know, I, I am constantly, um, thankfully, continuing to explore new music. I was a little fearful for a while as I got older that I would just like stick with the old, you know, yeah, traditional electronica and IDM of the 90s and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. But I keep finding all this new amazing music um, and there's so many different expressions of it, but there's still this one particular nexus point that i don't hear and the only way to hear it is to make it nice um and when i when i do that it's it's sort of selfish it's like so i have this thing i can listen to that takes me to the place i wanted to go um i don't often go back and re-listen to a lot of my music but once i get there i'm like okay this exists now thank goodness and
0: i can step back and move on to the to the next thing Mm um Uh, so you just released an Album like during the quarantine or pandemic,
1: yeah. So it was like over a year ago, September okay. of last year. Okay. Um, my newest album is, um, one I'm really happy with. I think out of all my works so far, I feel like it uh holds its ground the best, but it's also had the least time to prove it. So, yeah, um, you know, like any creative outlet, you just tend to love your newest thing, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the newest album is called Infraplanetary. it's a sort of a concept album, uh, infra being. Uh, within and in between um, and also somewhat SEO compliant because uh, infraplanetary is not an actual term that exists out there. So if you just search for that, it's the only thing that comes up. There you go. Um, But it's sort of like the spaces in between our world, other worlds, um, Mm -hmm. imaginary or real. Yeah. And uh, the intersection, again, between creativity and and science. Nice. Um, The hard, kind of like fast hitting the ground of the actual planet while being a you know a human with an imagination and a compulsive need for creativity and um a relationship spiritually to that hard reality around you
0: nice yeah i like these terms that you're you're sort of concocting like a uh, geosonification and infra planet infra-planetary. infraplanetary yeah okay yeah. infraplanetary go find it on bandcamp it's there or it's, even it's, spotify if you don't want to pay for it. Also on spotify. Uh, <laughs> Fine with mostly bandcamp. Yeah, why not? Um so, okay. We're we're kind of caught up to the present now. Um in this what we're trying to have be like a linear conversation. Mm-hmm. Um what's on the horizon for you? Uh you you have any shows coming up?
1: Um so, I'm working right now with uh Evan and Blue Tuck on a label showcase for his label behind the sky music coming up in february i think february 3rd at the cervantes masterpiece nice. ballroom in denver um sent over the contract for that and the final deets so contract needs to be signed mm-hmm. and i'm not going to officially announce the gig until he does but that's the next thing on the horizon okay um, which i'm i'm really so excited are we gonna about so
0: we're going to have to wait to air this episode for for a little bit no I, I think okay. it'll be fine um, okay cool cool
1: I, I'm just gonna still put a tentative pig in that until I yeah, see yeah. the final thing signed um, it's like selling a painting yeah yeah exactly I don't like, oh, jinx I want it.
0: that painting like, yeah <laughs> yeah sure you do
1: I, I'm really excited for it though it will be the first live show I've had in a few years actually nice um, and I, like with everything else it's an opportunity to sort of reset that and uh, build out my live set a little differently than I you know Uh, would have before especially because like when you're playing show after show you don't really sit down and think okay like how do I rebuild this entirely like what new goals do I have you like you get into a flow you
0: learn your gear you build a relationship with it and you keep using it do you do you practice or rehearse that aspect like the live aspect
1: um I should (laughs) (laughs) I got two months so yeah Yeah, I I have some practice to do for sure Uh, when I was touring all the time you know you, you get really used to your set and there would definitely be weeks where I would go without practicing for, uh, a set and, you know, I'd play every night or something like that. Um, you just kind of get into a groove. So at that point sure. it's not as essential, but given this is like a fresh start, um, given the the profile of the gig and, um, the opportunity to work with Bluetech, uh, I'm definitely going to rehearse. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Within... Well, so,
0: and you're also now, I'm assuming you're incorporating the the modular in there too in some capacity or
1: dabbling with it so as part of the exploration phase too is like well how do I set this up especially in the context of of behind the sky which is like really focused on analog uh, synthesis yeah um, modular synthesis but really um, predominantly analog Uh, being able to bring my modular to the show is probably going to be a plus in that regard but I have to use it responsibly and like I was saying earlier I'm not like Super comfortable with having everything dialed in yeah. in advance, or the the high probability for something to go slightly amiss during a set. Which, if you're doing a pre-recorded thing and just adding effects, uh, it's a different That's ballgame. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I might just use it as an out, outboard like effects processor of sorts, okay? And
0: and use sends to play it safe at first, and then once you you have your sea legs about you, you can. Get out there on the water a little bit, totally, or do some some analog noodlings uh, for yeah, yeah. you know ambient interludes here and there, and yeah. then get
1: back to the the tracked stuff basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, That's so. actually what I really like about uh, the more recent times I've seen Blue Tech. It seems like he's just kind of jamming on the modular, but you hear you hear parts of tracks, and that but it's like I don't know. It's really really cool. You can tell he's He's put in work on that.
1: Yeah. No, he plays his, uh, ARP, like, um, Hendrix played the guitar nice. <laughs> in many ways, you know, like, yeah. um, and then one of the other artists on that lineup, um, is Lisa Belladonna, who's one of the premier artists on the label. And, uh, she does a lot of the patch programming for, for Moog synthesizers nice. and the Bob Moog foundation. So there's a lot of interchange there. Um, basically I'll be in the, the midst of some masters of synthesis and uh, I'm going to uh, make sure to respect that, but not overstep my, my right. bounds basically. I'm just there to open the show. I'm, sure. I'm happy to do that. But um, it has made me wonder, do I want to do more live music in the future? Cause mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely more personally oriented towards like headphone experience. Like I, I love like the, the very um, specific experiences going back to like, um, Formative albums like uh, the Orbs' Adventures Beyond the Ultra World, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or few, uh, White Clouds, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, or Future Sound of London, um, going back to like early '90s stuff, even mm-hmm. uh, like all those early formative experiences for me were were in headphones. Uh, I didn't have like a big stereo system right, when I was yeah. like a kid. I didn't have like a boombox when I was a teenager. I just had you know mediocre headphones. Um, and a tape deck <laughs> yeah and and that's how i experienced a lot of the more formative um aha moments in my sort of like musical progression both both as a listener and as a, as a, a maker mm-hmm. um so that's kind of the more ideal outlet i think still for listening to the music i love now as well as the ideal environment to share my music with others um knowing that somebody is having a personal experience, maybe just by themselves listening to something that, that I made a while ago, um, feels more relatable and more like authentic to how I've experienced a lot of my favorite music. Um, but there's still something really magical in the live
0: performance. Sure. Yeah. Uh, dynamic. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people experience music very somatically mm-hmm. or kinesthetically, you know? Yeah. And that's why everybody dances. So I think that, you know, from from what I've heard, I actually honestly haven't heard the new album. Sorry about that. No worries, I didn't bring but, it for you, so I'm yeah. sorry about that. I should I, next yeah. time I come by, I'll bring a copy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but your music is both those things for me. It's like you can wiggle to it, I you can also just like nod your head with headphones on and get it introspective and create. You know, luckily for visual artists, we get to listen and to to whatever we want while we paint. Um, so yeah it's it's both those things i think at least from, from what i, I remember
1: yeah. yeah i mean i definitely like get into head bob moments and get into more of like a flow state while i'm sketching out beats on the MPC, for example and that's when the cats will like stop chasing each other and running around the house and having the zoomies and they'll just like sit down on the studio chairs while i'm jamming out and like bobbing my head and i definitely like having a steady sense of groove in music um I I love like really broken beat um approaches like Flying Lotus is is beyond any sort of like swing or or oh, yeah. shuffle but um yeah I like plotting sort of like uh, really rhythmic progressions in music sort of like more laid back in the production uh aesthetic mm-hmm. and that's something that I've seen a lot now in in the music community as it stands within our scene so to speak is like uh, there's a lot of like hyper complex programming and like the the engineering of these sounds is is, uh, at peak quality in many ways you know the the tipper aesthetic is all encompassing uh, and like the gold standard for a lot of Producers out there, both aspiring and established. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to name one artist, you know, I think yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's not going to really hit anybody as like a blindside point to make. Right. Um, listening to the podcast right now, but like, I, I really love the ability to be messy again, like reducing the barrier for entry, making things as like creatively accessible. Um, I still find myself listening to shitty old tapes of, um, you know, what's a good example. Like '80s electro, yeah, yeah, or beaten up vinyl that you know hasn't been cleaned in a really long time, and even when you clean it, it we all know it's yeah. not <laughs> going to be what it was. Pop. Yeah, <laughs> but even when it was produced at that time, it wasn't up to the 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 par of the sound design and aesthetic that we have now as an expectation. So, I, I still find myself listening to what might seem, from an audio engineering standpoint, more shitty, mm-hmm. um, but it just feels more human to me. As things get more and more polished and perfect, um, I find myself you know sinking back to like more of a nostalgic take on what makes me Pretty feel dark. comfortable with oh, the yeah. sound. Because if it's so upfront and like all encompassing, it's fascinating and like tippers a master of the game Absolutely. hands down. Uh mad respect. Um but that's not the only flavor
0: that's out there. Right. And there's a and push and
1: a pull. There's like a you know, as soon as something exists, there's yeah. like the, the counter to that thing existing, which is in this right. case stuff that's existed before.
0: Well one thing that I that just occurred to me is that with i think the reason that i like electronic music so much is that it those sounds like okay so every sound is separate essentially
2: right yeah part of it that's kind of
0: it right and but in reality you never hear a sound separate from other sounds it's like everything is in context and everything is like it is like in a 3d space so If you were even I guess when you hear the separated electronic music sound come back into a full composition, oops, it it is in another context again. And then if you hear it in headphones, different context through large speakers, Mm -hmm. another different context. But it it is like this kind of like unreality thing about it that makes it both so appealing and then maybe for some people so like That like turns them off yeah
1: too too artificial or whatever so like i really love uh whether by intention or just by accident or lack of attention Mm -hmm. uh music that uh electronic music that that sort of muddies those waters a little bit yeah yeah. um so like going back to my bloody valentine and like slow dive and like the shoegaze era Mm -hmm. and now of course like new gaze where you know there's this wash of sounds and it's almost like you're in a sea of ghosts and like reaching out and touching one is impossible, but you yeah. know, it's there. Yeah. Um, One of the reasons why I love boards of Canada so much because, you know, it's electronic music, quote unquote, but like I'm still finding new things in uh, tracks that I've listened to hundreds of times uh, because it's not always clear what's in there. Um, like the, the veils are definitely thick and, um, the, the transients you get out of mashing three sounds together is, for me personally, more interesting than a perfectly dialed in and designed uh, snare and raw synthesis. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's important to know how to do, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's worth doing your homework, and you can get some really satisfying things out of that. But I still find that my favorite snare, for example, is like three different, four different, five different things mashed together. Yeah, yeah. And, and transients popping up in different ways as you go through and compress and master it. And Explain what
0: transience is for...
1: Um, so, uh, looking at like a sine wave basically, um, doesn't really have a transient, right? It's just a, this oscillating up and down sinusoidal mm-hmm. waveform. Uh, a transient is sort of like where there's a sudden, uh, rising edge in the waveform. So if I wrap on the desk, that knock uh, the, creates a transient. The
0: attack. Like, yeah. Up. Yeah. Sine waves like, like right. that, like just kind of a steady, and then you dial up the frequency to make it higher or lower. Totally. So a square
1: wave has, as you know, continuous uh, transients. In yeah, it, yeah. Essentially, um, especially because like a square wave isn't actually a square when we listen to it, because you can't make a square wave go through the air. <laughs> it's impossible. So you get these weird transients that pop up on the rising edge of the square. Interesting. Um, but but when you throw multiple transients together, especially uh, if you're doing it on tape where there's like a inherent compression involved or you're down sampling it or even just like working on the MPC with really high resolution samples and just like throwing them together and then yeah. trimming everything. You get these like hybrids and these like chimeras of sound where I love listening to uh, a piece of sound design where I can't quite tell what it is. Like it could be a dog barking, a human or like a pot falling on the ground. I'm yeah. not sure which one uh, that for me is like, ambiguity It's kind of yeah. pretty cool yeah. yeah um obviously your your visual work is highly expressive and and surrealist in in ways so yeah um
0: i love i love ambiguity yeah it, it's not always the most popular thing
1: right because it's not because, like a face
0: or like a, a right sexy you know thing that you right. can immediately
1: relate to in like a real world you, context you can't necessarily
0: language it yeah that's what i like about things i think in general you're like I like this part.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of (laughs) like... You can't
0: say, I like the the woman in this painting or the lion or the star or whatever, whatever, you You might not even be able to point to it. You just feel it.
1: So like uh, at that point, for example, with the previous illustration, like it might not even be a snare.
0: Uh, Yeah. You
1: might not even know what to call it. So again, like this is...
0: The thing that that lands on the two and the the four. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if if my music can be succinctly described in a particular genre, um, I... I don't feel like I would have hit the mark.
0: Uh, there, and there are artists who <laughs> do that. Such a, with that's aplomb. a cool paradox. But like I wouldn't hit the mark if someone could actually point to it and say, "This is what it is." This is the mark. Yeah. Right.
1: Let alone me, and I would be least uh, <laughs> I think qualified to label it myself. But like, yeah, um, yeah, I love, I love finding the strange things in sound. There was definitely a formative moment when I was like 16 or so, and I had my first electric guitar, mm-hmm. and this like. Boss guitar multi-effects pedal. Um, And I was just like looping that through a a Tascam multi-track tape player. Yeah. And really late at night by myself, um, started to hear these like voices come out of it, like these ghostly sounds, which I later actually discovered was very similar to what's in one of Aphex's ambient tracks. Um, It felt like I had stumbled upon again, like the sea of ghosts that was untouchable and yet innately there. And it was uh, kind of like the ghost in the machine idea. I had found something inside this set of otherwise known engineered pieces of hardware in my own hands that was greater than the sum of the parts, Yeah, basically. Exactly. And I don't know how I got there. I don't know what the fuck caused that.
0: I haven't been able to replicate that exact sound again. And, the, th- well, the thing about reality in general, I've found is that if you... If you have a great moment that can't be necessarily quantified, even if you recreate the steps that you think led you to that great moment, it doesn't necessarily happen. Right. Like you can you can have all your technical skills uh, you know tucked under your arm or at your waist like ready to pull out. Or some people with like massive backpacks, like yeah. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bill, for example, yeah, like exactly <laughs> piled yeah. with They're technical. Like, Let me get ability. this thing out. But like it's it's not necessarily you can't necessarily capture a vibe, quote unquote, um, because it's moment to moment and things tend to always change.
1: And I I personally like that fact because right I I can't control it you know. Um, some people can fairly well like revisit specific things and are really diligent with their note-taking and their memorization and their like brainstem data dumping. But, but even process. then, yeah,
0: I'm not like that though. But I, I feel like even then, unless I don't know, like you can't necessarily replicate things all the time. And uh, this, this is getting more into the scientific realm, I guess with replicating uh, studies and, and things like this sure um, but I, I don't know I don't know where I was going with that I well, just had a real exciting moment and <laughs> uh, needed to talk yeah for sure yeah. I mean part of what that reminds me of though
1: is that, like the, the things I've been diving into with the geosonification processes are inherently re- replicable Yeah. so in terms of like the actual principles involved um,
2: I've but been thinking will about... you get
0: the same exact result every time? no okay That's that's the point I'm trying to make. (laughs) Is that like we can replicate the steps that got us there. Yeah. But I'll never paint the. It's hard for me to paint the same painting twice. Yeah. And you never. I don't think you ever could. Even even if you're like this is the exact uh, color mixture I made and I laid it on this way. Even if you took notes that diligently, you would. You would set them side by side and an AI could be like, no, here are small differences here in the value and the way you place the thing.
1: So the process is like replicable, but is the outcome? Right. Well, that's, that, that's a much bigger question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I do want to be able to get to the point where, uh, say, if I, at some point, I would really like to do like a, a children's museum exhibit or like sound sculpture where yeah. they can walk up and like with a mallet hit a big quartz crystal and put on headphones and hear it kind of thing, <sighs> yeah, that's replicable, yeah. Totally. Um, and would be I think super inspiring to me as a kid if I were to have the opportunity. I would love to be able to share that with with other people, whether it's a you know a actual kid or a big kid like us. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's still still something that would basically be demonstrably repeatable to the point where I might be able to at some point make a synth module that incorporates some of these ideas. The same with like the, we haven't really gotten into the radioactivity stuff that much, but all these processes, if you have the specimens and you have the equipment, you can do the same kind of stuff. Right, it won't right. sound the same because yeah, yeah. that's where you get to have your own creative Certainly. journey within those otherwise predefined terms. So again, like the intersection of creativity and, and science kind of being this this interesting hybrid between replicability and chaos. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: hundred percent. I think that that's what I was trying to get at and... I think we got there. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know if we can replicate it. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do it the same way next time. We're recording, time. right? Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we could wrap up here in a little bit. I wanted to ask you kind of a, a weird question that might throw you off, but I've asked, I think, every musician I've had on since this year, this question, and it is, what is a brutal fact about the music industry?
1: Oh, man. Um, so <laughs> Ben Jordan, who otherwise goes by The Flash Flashbulb, bulb, yeah. um,
0: put out a video I think a couple days ago on this. Oh, the guy uh, yeah. uh, uh, Ian something. Ian Hibbert or something like No, I don't uh, want to get was this Ian, guy's. Ian O, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Allegedly a journalist for The New York Times. Uh, well, he is a journalist. But okay, All he right. allegedly well, geez, scammed <laughs> uh, a lot of musicians in this way. I'll include this video link in the show notes so yeah that, And I don't usually go this detailed, but since we're getting into this territory, we might as well.
1: Yeah, and a big legal disclaimer too. Like we yeah, don't have any uh, legal stakes in this, and, and I'm not a lawyer, uh, nor do I have one representing me right now, or nor was I involved in this. But it's a really yeah. fascinating. Okay example of the um sometimes like scammy underworld within the music industry and preying off of genuinely well-meaning creative and hard-working people Um, right so making money in music is is very difficult and it's not just like the hustle required it's like that there are uh people out there that will try to take advantage of it without having you know necessarily a creative stake in the game themselves right um I personally haven't been taken advantage of, thank goodness, and knock on wood. I I am like a white boy, so it's easy for me to stay in my like privilege bubble in Colorado. Sure, sure. Um, But it does happen a lot. Um, And I've definitely gotten a lot of offers for things that that didn't pan out. So hence, like I I don't like cut my chickens before they hatch at this point because there's been so many experiences where I was like, this is my break, this is it. And like um, when the break does come, you often don't know. So yeah, not even like you're we're not totally aware. Of you it. might not know until like later. Yeah, you're like
0: <laughs> I think it was around this time. Yeah, but it, I think to get back to this, I mean, by the way, Ben Jordan shoutouts because he's doing like pretty much investigative journalism on this on this topic yeah and a lot of other ones too
1: and also an amazing videographer and editor he's got amazing
0: musician too. check out the flashbulb if you don't know already
1: i have a fun flashbulb story i can share after this
0: okay yeah, nice off off mic uh on mic if you want okay but i don't know if i'll even be able to retell this story right now correctly basically a journalist for the new york times reached out to a bunch of musicians he's like hey we want you to be involved in this project about uh cleaning up the ocean or so, something like this mm-hmm. um, a noble goal like yeah really fantastic great. do this and then then basically you know they sent out the contracts and ben i think was a little more seasoned than maybe the average person that this guy was reaching out to in terms of like knowing his way around contracts and like looking into them deeply. His bullshit filter was a little more refined at yeah, that point than like a, a yeah, yeah.
1: you know, year 1 producer. Yeah,
0: sure. Um and it, what seemed like a great opportunity turned out to be like this guy was going to get 50% of the royalties even though he didn't do anything creatively at all. Mm-hmm. Um no music up front or no, no, no money up front No cash rather. up front, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, which um you know, should be a red flag I think for if you're ever taking a commission or anything like that. This goes for visual artists too. But anyway, it was a really great piece and, um, uh, shouts to Ben for putting that out there.
1: Yeah. There were like 456, some artists that got condo into signing this contract. And a lot of them, like I'm sure we're excited to work with a reporter from the New York times. And like this, this uh, very noble, Project um, with the potential of like apparently he was saying that there would be the ability to work with Netflix and some other bigger That's names right, yeah. in entertainments out there.
0: There's um, a la- it, it Basically, what it comes down to is there's a lot of like abstract carrots being dangled in front of um, people's faces, uh, i.e., artists who are I don't necessarily want to say desperate, but we're chomping at the bit for any good opportunity. Yeah. And if you throw around names like Netflix, New York Times, journalist, uh, all these things, right? And then basically the fine print is like, oh, we're going to pay you an exposure. And in return, this guy gets like songwriting credits on, f- you know, however many songs each There's of these. Thousands for- actually that end yeah. up
1: being part of this process. So he's,
0: he's you know, what looks like to be one of the most prolific uh creators on spotify or something like this yeah but like to take crazy
1: take kind of a a positive or like a, a flipping this a little bit into a more personal note like for me it's also a reminder that like um as as a creative person anybody listening um we have an invaluable ember burning inside us at all times that cannot be extinguished even if you try or even if there's like times of darkness it will just keep burning in there right um And it's, it's ours, but it's also something to be shared, but, um, not something that anybody else can ever truly claim to own. And unfortunately, sometimes that conflicts with the legalese out there. So like, uh, I would just say when in doubt, self-advocate, like have, um, if possible, a deeper sense of, um, connection and, and like ownership and like, uh, dare I say it, pride of, of your work. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That that nobody has necessarily the final say on your creative Ember, which is completely unique as far as I can tell to each one of us. 100%. Um, and, and when it is usurped, it's it's in paperwork only. Yeah, to some it's not only a technicality. Yeah, right? but, but, but we, we sometimes want that, like we want to give it away because we feel like it might have a better owner out there somewhere in the world. And like, in my experience, and there might be some exceptions to this, but like, there is no better owner than than us right. uh, as the individual with our creative spark yeah um so i I've, I've personally tried to retain the rights to all of my music and and have thankfully succeeded in that so it's all up on bandcamp if i don't like something anymore sorry guys i take it down yeah, yeah, <laughs> If somebody yeah. requests hey can you put this back up i i miss having this ep or whatever i'll send it to him but like i have at this point um am really fortunate to have complete creative control over my output that's and such in my a good discography
2: point. yeah yeah,
1: I think we'll end on that,
0: um, if that's okay. What, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I can give you the Ben Jordan story. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on, let me pause it real quick. Sure. All right, the Ben Jordan story. Let's hear it. Sure.
1: Um, <laughs> so, thankfully, through music, I've had the opportunity to spend some time with artists that I listened to for quite a while. Know,
0: like a, just a little bit more. That's good. you good. You're good. Sorry.
1: Sorry. Okay, no worries. So, so Ben Jordan story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I feel really thankful to in music has spent some time with um, artists that I really looked up to for a long time, look up to to this day, uh, toured with some of them, you know, uh, hung out at festivals with some of them, that kind of thing. That's that's definitely one of the perks of uh, creative adventures in festival communities is uh, all the different connection points, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I was playing at Infrasound, I think, 2013 something like that which is uh, for those not familiar great electronic music festival in Wisconsin Um, and having grown up there like it's kind of in my backwoods and I knew a lot of the guys that promoted that festival from early on through the Twin Cities dubstep days um, like Alex Toffler and and Smilodon Um, so I was really excited to play there uh, and uh, at the end of my sets at the time what I've been doing is like if it was the right context, getting everybody together and like having a group ohm at the very end of the set. Yeah. Um, And at this particular set at Infrasound, I think it was one of the first years of the festival, um, it was just the right size crowd to actually get together mostly in a a really big circle Mm. and like all ohm together. So I actually came down from the stage, I walked in and like joined the circle and we started sharing this group ohm and as we were getting started, I started to hear these like tones emerge from the stage, which I just walked off of and like, you know, brought down my master and everything yeah, on. Yeah. So I shouldn't have been making sound. But I look back, and Ben Jordan, the flashbulb, is playing after me and he's getting his gear set up and is starting to create a live ambient jam in, in perfect tune with the group <laughs> Ohm. So nice. it was it was probably one of the most special ohms I've ever experienced because the flashbulb just hopped in there. He's like, I'm a jam with this. Pitch perfect yeah. jam on top of that. And and everybody, you know, as they looked up on stage, realized what was happening and then got really excited and we all like applauded at the end because yeah. of his like extraordinary finesse and professionalism and musical ability Very to nice. sort of like enhance that already special moment. Nice. Um,
0: yeah. Um well so you gave some advice right before that story. I don't know if I call it advice. I'm just No, popping you did. Off. All right. But <laughs> like I want another I want something else. I want some more advice. Uh Okay. Either for younger musicians or um a younger version of you. What would you give a, a, on this like path of creativity?
1: Hmm. Well, when you know something, you know it. When your ear or your eye picks up on something and it is, like, this holy object for you, uh, you might feel like sometimes you're kind of chasing that dragon, but it's uh, this innate part of, I think, our creative genesis is these, like, moments of eurekas. You know, like, when I listened to New Age music on my parents' tape player on car trips when I was a kid, like, with these, like... (laughs) mostly synthetic environments, you know, these like synth ambient washes and stuff like that. I loved listening to those from day one when I was a kid. Like the first moment I heard a synthesizer, I I, were like, yeah, I yeah. was very excited. Yeah. <laughs> I still yeah. still am. So when you know, you know. So, so I would say to myself then, like keep trusting that because at times I've wavered, you know, I've yeah. kind of wondered, okay, should I be a musician at all? Should I... Be a folk musician should i maybe just completely change it up and like be <laughs> yeah, a yeah, singer yeah. songwriter or something and if that's your thing that's your thing right um and and that it can't be extinguished even if sometimes you try or it seems like the world is trying hmm. it, it can't go out uh that that's that's my bias uh but there are definitely been moments where i wanted to not have to spend time on music i would just rather do something that makes money or i would just rather sure, do yeah. something that has some other directly impactful uh, relationship with the world in a way that, you know, maybe community, you know, volunteering, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, which I'd still like to do more as I get older. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if it's a part of you, it's like, again, that thing that, you know, early on, you can't unknow it. (laughs) It can't be unseen. It can't be unheard. Um, whether you like it or not. and, And, and sometimes it's a, it's a curse as well as a blessing. Um, to have that creative ember burning inside of you. Uh, yeah. But we have a responsibility to to keep it um, fairly well-nourished. You know, It'll smolder, and sometimes just like a little puff of smoke will be coming up and nothing else. Yeah. And not exactly a bonfire, but you you can't snuff it out, actually. Um, it, some really silly, silly analogy someone used a, a while ago was like you have a pizza oven inside of you that will just keep making pizzas, and sometimes they're like little pizzas, sometimes they're big. <laughs> Uh, you might want to <laughs> shut that oven off because you might get sick of it. But you, yeah. if it's there, it's there. Yeah. Um, so so it's like a, a moment of self-recognition for me was like uh, understanding that it, it's just innately a part of me. Um, I might not be the most famous musician. I might not be the most creative one or like the best or the, the you know, most accomplished sound designer or audio engineer. Mm. But I can't get rid of it. So like right. what's that journey look like for me then? Because it's just going to be a part of my life. Indefinitely, definitely, right. you know, to, to my last breath, um, there will be something creative inside uh, my soul just wanting to express itself. So how do you lend it a hand and give it the tools that it needs to thrive? And when it does, um, the rest of, I think, our spirit, our, our character gets uh, illuminated by it, gets yeah. expanded by it. Yeah. Um, Gets excited. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Yeah. 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 It's like that sense of being in love, like staying up all night with a special person. Yeah. Um, You don't necessarily always feel like you're in love with that creative part of yourself, but when you love it, um, it's uh, existentially very satisfying and healing. And uh, no one can tell you that that you suck (laughs) and actually make what you're doing suck. Right. It can't happen. That's they can they can make you stop doing something for a while or, or you might react to it and then go, Okay, well what's the point? I might not do this anymore. But uh it's not gonna change the quality of that ember in you ever. That's just how you choose to express it.
0: Beautiful. Evan, Sky Tree. Thank you.
1: Thanks, uh Andrew Norris, uh artsy <laughs> as fuck. <so. laughs>
0: well, I just wanted to reiterate that you go by Sky Tree. Yeah. And uh that I'm really happy that you uh you're on the show yeah thanks for having me it's uh um
1: really fun to just go more into the creative process with i'm sure your audience being uh, a lot of artists and a yeah, lot of mostly
0: artists i think
1: a lot of creative people not not just in music i'm often in podcast land just kind of like contextualizing creativity and music alone mm. uh, or in peripheral elements of music but
0: uh, you, you know mr bill has a podcast
1: yeah. Yeah. I like that one, even I though I'm too. not a musician. Yeah. I, I love that one too. He did an amazing podcast in the fallout with, with the bass nectar stuff last oh, yeah. year with Mimi page and ill gates. Yeah. Um, uh, wonderful stuff. And actually, uh, shout out to Mimi. Um, we're going to be working on some stuff in the future. Um, I've had the opportunity to collaborate with her a couple times in the past and, so far, the plan is for her to uh, basically be the first singer to have her voice routed through a quartz crystal filter. Nice. So So
0: uh, I'm excited to demo that out pretty soon. Hell yeah. And build off of it. That's exciting. Yeah. Sweet. Well, so everybody can find you where you're at on the old interwebs. So like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Bandcamp is definitely the place.
1: If you, if you feel like it, uh, skytree.bandcamp.com, um, because I have sole ownership over my creative content, um, it's all actually up for, uh, free and donation. Um, nice. I've just found that actually that tends to generate more revenue by letting people choose if they want to contribute or not. Yeah. Uh, kind of like the old in rainbows, like Radiohead days, Right, right, right. uh, it's worked pretty well. Um, you know it's not bringing in bank but it's like it's nice to give people the the opportunity to choose if they want to pay for it or not so anything on there feel free to just put in zero dollars listen to all of it if you like it and you want to contribute um that's that's awesome but uh Bandcamp is my like you know community mechanism for people to listen whether they have the funds or, or not uh to to buy something um, but then also I'm on Twitter, Skytree Music, and don't really use that that much. Feel free to <laughs> poke me there if you want me to post something more. But uh, otherwise, I use Instagram the most for uh, just kind of updating what I've been working on. So like the things that Andrew and I were talking about earlier, um, I guess I don't have to refer to you in the third person. You're right here.
0: It's okay. I you, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I,
0: I don't ever refer to myself in the third person. <laughs> Andrew never refers to himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, or or deals in absolutes yeah, yeah, only yeah. only yes. sith deal in absolutes <laughs> um, so uh instagram is where i post updates on like the geosonification processes that i've worked on yeah. recently so you can see like my early experiments in like getting a uh, oscilloscope to like show me the waveforms of tapping on a quartz crystal as output by the electrodes i've done A few videos recently of my radioactivity experiments using gamma-ray spectroscopy and Geiger counters as input sources for synthesis. Um, The other one you mentioned, like using a creek with two electrodes put in the creek and the varying resistance of the water passing through it being the control voltage source into the synth to create generative music out of the creek. All that stuff is there. I have been putting some extended versions on YouTube. Hmm. Um, So Skytree Music on YouTube uh, is where you can find that um i'm not a youtube content creator i just uh put longer versions of instagram stuff on it and if there's more in the future to build off of then i have a platform for it um yeah but if anybody ever just wants to reach out to me direct feel free to drop me a dm i'm more than happy to uh, discuss you know more specifics if anybody has any questions or just wants to reach out um i try to keep off of social media actually these days and it's you know, cool. remind my friends to text me and drop me a call, even if they can, or yeah. just stop by. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Well, thank you again. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah.
1: Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening, guys.
0: Peace. Peace. Thank you again for listening to another episode of RTAF Podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash Podcast. And I want to thank all my patrons, you guys keep this engine running. I couldn't do it without you go over there and check out the tiers. I have available it includes video, uh, guest suggestions, uh, patron only posts and some merchandise. Thank you again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, do all those little things that help get RCAF into the consciousness. Of more and more people.
2: Shout. Yeah. Out, 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 out.